we're not in the Artichoke Cafe this time because although our guest Doug McLeod will be performing there on Saturday, October 7th, he's not rolling into town until the day of the gigs, such as life on the road. So instead, when we talked, he was in Memphis, and I was right here in Portland. Doug is a legendary blues singer, guitar picker, and storyteller. He's been out there doing all three for several decades and just seems to get better every year. He's got great stories and not only about himself. Doug has seven Blues Music Awards and about a million nominations for others. You're going to like Doug McLeod. Well, Doug, I wish we were sitting in the Artichoke Cafe today where we usually do these, but you're on the road and you stay on the road, and you're not going to be here in time for us to do this, but you're going to be here in the cafe pretty soon. I know. I'm looking forward to it. This is my first time at the Artichoke. Yeah, you know, it's a legendary place. It's you know, this is like the third or fourth location, <laughs> but uh, it's 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 just a great it's a great place place for musicians. It really is. And uh, well, so you, like I said, I'm really I'm anxious to be there, and it's always it honestly it's always good to get back to Portland. I like Portland. Mm-hmm. What do you like about it? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the pace of Portland. I like. Yeah. I like the city. Yeah. I like, and yeah. I love the river there. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, and that bridge that goes over the river. I think that's uh, that's pretty amazing. That's <laughs> I enjoy stuff like that. You know? <laughs> we have several bridges. I had to learn them all when I moved here. <laughs> I don't remember which one it was, but I mean, there's the one that's that's on uh, on the main highway that you go over. Oh, oh, you get yeah, the nice, yeah. You get the nice view of the city. On I five, uh, the one on I five coming in. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, it's I five. Yeah, That's the yeah, one I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all. It's pretty. It's. I mean, you know, it certainly beats Baltimore, where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to leave that alone since we're talking here and having a cup of coffee together. I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> so you live in St. Louis now. No, I live in Memphis. Oh, in Memphis. That's right. That's right. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But I'm from St. Louis. Yes, uh, yes, you, yes. You and, and a Cardinal fan. I understand. I'm a big Cardinal fan. <laughs> yeah. Even now, even when they're terrible, <laughs> I love them. Well, that's when you got to. Then you got you got to stick with them. You know. Yeah, that's part of being a fan, isn't it? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's what. Uh, so one of the first things I learned when I was a little kid: stick with those six, stick with them birds. <laughs> Our birds, not your birds. <laughs> I know, but your birds used to be the the St. Louis Browns years ago. That's right. That's right. You know? Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. I wrote a I wrote a piece one time for a uh, it was a it used to be a magazine called Sports History on 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 the, the St. Louis Browns fan club, which I believe is still in existence, even though they moved to Baltimore in 1954. <laughs> yeah, 54. They moved to Baltimore. I know, but. There's a there's a uh, at, at the new ballpark in yeah. St. Louis they have a St. Louis Hall of Fame uh-huh. and part of it Tom is dedicated to the Browns. That's nice. So Satchel, and, pa- Satchel Page was a Brown. He sure was. Yeah, he sure was. And he and yeah. they 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 got rid of him the year before they moved to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. Satchel Page was a Brown. He sure was. Yeah, then yeah. they got they got his shirt, and they also have Eddie Goodell's shirt. The midget, the, or the, the I'm the sorry, the, the little the, the little what, person. They have to you have to say little right. person now. 
<laughs> yeah, oh, okay. So they got Goodell's uh, shirt, and do you know what his number was? Was it one half? One quarter. One quarter. <laughs> <laughs> one quarter. And there was, there was a. They say that Bill Vec told him, "You go up there to the plate. Do not swing at no. anything. Do not swing." And he looked at him and he asked him why. He said, "He said I have a Marine sharpshooter on the roof of this stadium, <laughs> and if you swing, that's it." So can he get down there for <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I interviewed Bill Vec one time in in the center field bleachers at Wrigley. And oh it, man, what was that like? It was fabulous. It was just wonderful. Of course, all, all the people around him knew him, and and he had a he had an ashtray in his wooden leg. No lie. Are you built kidding in, me? Built into his wooden leg, he had an ashtray. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he was a character, wasn't he? Yeah, of course. In those, in, in those days, you could smoke anywhere. You could smoke on planes. You know? That's true. Yeah, I remember those <laughs> days. Yeah. yeah. So, are you are you uh, are you on the road a lot these days? Well, not as much as I used to. Not as much as I used to. Uh, well, you right can say now, that about I'm a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you could. <laughs> Uh, like right now, I'm back home. Uh, I'm back home here in Memphis talking to you. Uh-huh. And uh, but I just got back from Holland, France, Belgium, and the United Kingdom. Wow. Yeah. How was so that? Still, How was that? Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, it's really great. Uh, I, I, I love going there. I love. Um, I, I get. I, you know, I get a big chance to see and, and know history. Tom. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. Not not from a book, uh, but you know to walk these old streets and to be in these famous places and uh, historical places. It just mm-hmm. it's just amazing, you know. And the audiences are wonderful, so it's great. Do, do they they still love the blues like they did way back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they do. Yeah. They really do. Um, and there are young people that uh, are uh, coming. I see that more often now, uh-huh. which is really an encouraging thing, you know, nice. for this music. Yeah. I just put a set in, in my, in my, my KMHD radio show of tunes from the 1962 American Folk Blues Festival, which How was you in, in Europe. It was all over Europe. It was, you know, they, 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 mm-hmm. and, and the legend has it that the, the one, the, the one first concert in 62 and, in in Manchester, England, uh, like Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page and and Keith and Mick, they, and uh, and a bunch of those guys were, were in attendance. Of course, that you know that could be just a myth, but uh, it's nice I to think about. Yeah, yeah, it's nice, to, nice to think too. about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's it's great that uh, you know that that there, that there's still the interest, um, but uh, I, I guess it you know it, it, when did you discover the blues? Mm, I discovered the blues in St. Louis. Um, uh-huh. We had moved from New York area. Uh-huh. Um, when I was about maybe 14, 15, I'm not sure exactly uh-huh. right now. Uh-huh. But we had moved to St. Louis and coming up in New York at a time that we lived in New York. Uh, we first grew up in Car- Carolina. Then we moved to New York before uh-huh. we moved to St. St. Louis. Uh-huh. But the music in New York was like doo-wop. Sure, and that's what I I heard. And mm-hmm. then when I got to St. Louis, a friend of mine was still buddies after sixty some odd years. Wow, we're still close friends. Uh, first guy I met at the high school 
uh, he said to me, he said, uh, let's go hear some music. And I said, yeah, man, you, let's go hear some doo-wop. He said, oh, man, now I'm going to take you to doo-wop. <laughs> uh, I said, what are you going to do, do? He said, let's, we're going to go hear some blues. And I said, oh, man, I don't want to hear no sad music, you know. He, <laughs> he said, <laughs> he, was a, he, he, he was a rough guy, you know. And he said, uh-huh. he said you're going, you're going. I said, okay. <laughs> so we went down to some place. Now, neither of us can remember exactly what place it was, but it was down around South South St. Louis somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the band, though, he remembered, it was Eugene Neal. And uh-huh. when I heard this music and I saw what the music did, because uh, as everybody knows now, you know, I was abused when I was a boy and mm-hmm. I had a big chip on my shoulder and a lot of hurt, a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. And here I was in this in this bar with uh, uh, all all black black folks except for me and Stevie mm-hmm. and uh, seeing these people celebrate life and enjoy music and enjoy food and I, I saw a way out yeah and um, I saw a way out and I I said to myself I I've got to be around these people mm-hmm. I've got I've got to make myself welcome and um, that's eventually what happened you know mm-hmm. I started mm-hmm. playing bass and. I was a bass bass player, but I started playing bass in the bands in St. Louis and upright um, or electric. Uh, oh, oh, electric Fender mm-hmm. bass. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, what had happened was how I got how I got to the guitar was I was playing bass in St. Louis, and we had a band. One of the bands I was in was called Eddie Lewis and the Starfires, mm-hmm. and we actually backed up Chuck Berry. Wow. At a uh, yeah at a teen hop and this was when chuck chuck Dickberry wasn't traveling too much he was still he was living pretty much in wentzville uh-huh. which is just west of st louis and so <clears throat> so we're doing this teen hop and it was great you know and um me me and the band all, all the guys in the band were bringing it back and this pretty pretty gal comes up to me and says are you in the band i said yes i am and she said what do you do in the band I said, uh, I'm the bass player. She <laughs> said, oh, you're the bass player. I said, mm-hmm. And then she walked down to the guitar player. Now, at that time, Tom, this guitar player was the third ugliest guy on the planet. <laughs> and he he had five beautiful girls around him. <laughs> so I turned to the saxophone player, Eugene Gray, and I said to Eugene, I said, I said, Gene, I said, man, I'm giving up bass. He said, he said, why, man, you're a good bass player. I said, look, if that fool can get five or six girls, I can at least get one by playing the guitar. That's funny. <laughs> That's how I became a guitar player. Yeah. And can I give you one more story? Sure. As many as you want. Oh, I got uh, Well, I got a Chuck, Chuck Berry story, right? You, you hear all these things about him mm-hmm. lately. Uh, but I got a story that's on the other side of the fence. Um, uh, I joined the Navy when I was 17 and a half mm. and I was on my way home on leave and I uh, flew from Norfolk up into Washington, DC, and then from DC over to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And I was getting on the TWA jet. And as I was walking to the back, I saw Chuck Berry in the first class compartment. Mm. I said, my goodness, that is Chuck, Chuck Berry. Wow. But I, I, but my but my seat was way in the back, <laughs> so I've got my uniform on, mm-hmm. 
And after the plane got up in the air, the flight attendant come by, and I asked her, I said, ma'am, may I go up and say hello to a gentleman that's in the first-class department? And um, I think my uniform made it happen. Yeah. And she said, yes, but you can't stay there. I <laughs> thought, well, no, I don't want to stay there. I just want to go up. So I go up, and there he is, and there's a, he's, he's in the window seat, and there's no seat. There's no aisle seat. It's uh-huh. free. And uh, I introduced myself, and I said, uh, I played bass with you at Mosley Electronics. And Chuck Berry <laughs> says, I remember you. He didn't remember me. I know the, I know the goodness he didn't. He said, I remember you. I said, you do? He says, yeah, what are you doing now? I said, I'm in the Navy. He said, I can see that, but what are you doing now? <laughs> I said, well, I'm on I'm on my way home of, for leave. And he said, where are you sitting? I said, I'm in the back. He said, not anymore. You're sitting up here with me. And I sat in the first class with Chuck Berry on the TWA jet, talking about the St. Louis Cardinals all the way to St. Louis. <laughs> he was a Cardinals fan, huh? Yeah, him and Johnny Johnson, yeah. That's funny. That's fr- I don't know why I never put that together, but it makes perfect sense. Did you play mm-hmm. with Johnny Johnson? I didn't play with Johnny Johnson. I met uh. Johnny Johnson many years later. Yeah, I always many wonder what... I don't, Johnny was not on that band. Johnny yeah. was not on, on that band. It yeah. was... Uh, it was a, it was our high school, mm-hmm. I guess what you call a garage band nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always wondered what Johnny Johnson was really like because you know he was so important, you know, to 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 Chuck Berry's music. But uh, well, he sure was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's legend there in, in in St. Louis. I met him on the um, on the uh, legendary rhythm and blues cruise we uh ah. there was a meeting for all the artists and so on uh-huh. and he he's standing o- o- over there with a cardinal capital <laughs> and uh i told my wife patty joe i said i said patty i said i said i think that's johnny johnson she said you do i said yeah i'm gonna go over and talk to him so <laughs> went over to him. Said, we were cardinal fans once we said well once the music stuff was over we were talking about the cardinals you know? so that's what <laughs> And I know, I know. Uh, Keith uh, Richards tried to try to help him out with some recording and stuff, but didn't really didn't didn't really stick, unfortunately. Well, I really don't know the the whole history behind that. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different stories that have gone gone around. Oh, I, I'll bet. <laughs> I couldn't say, you know, but I, I honestly, even though I had some time with both of them, um, you know, I couldn't say with authority. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever get to go to any of those East St. Louis clubs to hear music? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. That must I sure have been, did. That must have been interesting. That was an interesting time. Um, yeah. There was one time uh, I was with uh, I was with Stevie, I think, and I think it was the Blue Note, Leo's Five, or some kind of stuff. Boy, it's hard to remember this. Yeah, sure. But it was it wasn't it, it was rough, but it wasn't as rough as it is now. Um, and, um, I remember I had my bass and, uh, <laughs> I, was just, I was this pretty young thing when I was younger, man. I was just, this, oh man, I, I either had a lot of guts or a lot of crazy going on in my head. Here I come with my bass <clears throat> and there's this big black guy at the door and he says, um, what are you doing here? I said, I, I, I'm with the band. And he said, 
you know how to play blues? I said, yeah. He said, you better. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but man. to be honest with you, in all my years, and all the times I played in the black club, all the times I played and been with them and everything, there was only one time that I had any smidgen of trouble. Really? And it was over quickly. Yeah. One time. I, yeah. I'll tell you that story, too. Man. Uh, this, not, not too many people know this story. I was um, I was, uh, down at Smokey Wilson's Club in L.A. That was on 88th and Vermont. Uh-huh. And um, a whole bunch of us went down there to play. Um, all kinds of musicians, black and white, but it was predominantly black, black club, right? Smokey's was like a juke joint that just happened to drop right into L.A. So I'm at the end, end of the bar, and out of the blue, this guy turns around to me, black, 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 black guy. He says, uh, uh, hey, your people made my people slaves. Hmm. I said, what? He said, your people made my people slaves. I said, my people didn't do that. He said, yes, they did. I said, no, no, mine I did, didn't do it. I said, all, all my people from Nova Scotia. <laughs> he said, Nova Scotia? Well, you people made my people slaves. You made us pick, pick cotton. I said, uh, there ain't no cotton in Nova Scotia, you know. <laughs> well, he kept on going. He kept on going. Yeah. And then Smokey Wilson came up to me, <laughs> came up to us, and he said, do we have a problem here? And the guy says to Smokey, he says, I'm telling him that his people made our people slaves. And Smokey said, his people didn't make our people slaves. He's one of the nicest guys you ever going to meet, and he's a damn good guitar player and singer. He had nothing to do with that. He said, well, I told him that his people made our people slaves. So Smokey says to him, he says, look, unless you cut this out, I'm going I'm to call my security company. And this guy looks around at this place. It's like a juke joint, you know, and he says, he says, what kind, what kind of security company you got in this place? And uh, Smokey leans over very, very quietly. He says, Mr. Smith and Mr. Wesson. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's why they said. Then when I got done playing, yeah. I got done playing. I had to have the same same seat. I'm sitting in the same uh, seat. He said, uh, 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 can I buy you a beer? I said, no, thank you. <laughs> I funny. said, no, thank you. And I just let it be, man. But that's the only time I had any problem in all those years I was playing in those places and being in those places. Well, that's why they say, don't start no shit, won't be no shit. <laughs> well, I guess so. I mean, you know, um, it just, that. but you know, I never, I, I think in all my days doing this, I think what happened was I think those folks knew that I loved the music and there was something that drawn me to the music. Uh -huh. And and I could always kind of sing it and play it. So yeah. that's, I guess everything was okay. Well, well, how did you start being a storyteller? Uh, that's because I didn't have enough songs. Um, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> I had a band. I started off with, well, I started off, I started off recording with an electric band. I started off as an acoustic guy before that. Uh -huh. But when I got to L.A., I was playing electric. And um, I was I was determined to make sure that I was going to make it, all the music we were going to play was going to be my own. 
Uh huh. That was a gamble back in those days. Yeah, really. I got this. I got a club. A guy happened to be from St. Louis. He was at Rubens on the Rocks, and uh, he said, "Look, uh, I need a guy for Sunday and Monday nights. Uh, do you think your band could do this?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Yeah, sure, we could." So we get in there, and I don't think the people in that part of L.A. had heard blues, especially like a St. Louis style of blues. Uh-huh. They had the West Coast blues, yeah. but not really a St. Louis style. So it got to be a pretty happening thing. But we only had uh, 25, 26 songs, and you had to do four and a half hours back in those days, Tom. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was... <laughs> I would I would I would tell stories in front of the songs because I wrote the songs. Uh-huh. And uh, the old country blues man I met in Tawana, Virginia, he said, "Never write a sing about what you don't know about, and yeah. never play a note you don't believe." Uh-huh. Well, I tell stories that was in front of the songs. We just start the band, the band would start, and uh-huh. then the volume would come on down, and then I would tell the stories, and uh, that's how I became a storyteller. Really. Huh. Um, because I had to. But, you know, the old blues men I worked with, the old country blues men, like uh-huh. Ernest Banks, I met in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But he told stories. He told stories in the songs. You know, they, mm-hmm. they were not not just the blues musicians I met, but the old, uh, I guess you call them folk, folk country type musicians back in those 60s I met. Mm-hmm. They all told stories. It was great because mm-hmm. you felt like you were being invited into the music. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 It was wonderful, so I enjoyed that. That's so, how I became a storyteller. And then, then to it became to make money. Yeah, then it became a thing. Yeah, and then yeah. I had this thing. <laughs> oh, you bring it back to memories, man. I had this thing where I knew in order for that band to make it, we eventually got Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday nights. Huh. But they were the worst nights of the week. The worst <laughs> nights of the week, right? <laughs> how are we going to make it? Well, I knew from my time with the old blues guys, I knew that the most important instrument in any bar is the cash register. <laughs> and I had to make sure that that thing was singing. Yeah. If that thing is singing, we're working. So I would <laughs> order, you know, there were people come up and they say, oh, can we buy a drink, Doug? Can we buy you a drink? Now, I, I was drinking beer. But I knew I was not going to make. I'm not going to make the poor poor count by uh, drinking beer. Uh-huh. So I said, "Yeah, I, I, I would love a Remy Martin." And they go, "Oh, we won't <laughs> get you one." So there'd be all these Remy Martins, Tom, lined up along uh, this bar, <laughs> and I, I would I would pick it up and just put it to my lips, right? <laughs> Maybe a little bit wind in, in my mouth, but that's it. Then I set it down and play. And then on the break, I'd take the two or three of the Remy's <laughs> over to the bartender, Pedro. Uh-huh. And he had an empty Remy Martin bottle <laughs> underneath the bar. <laughs> and we would store all these glasses of Remy Martin. And then the end of the night when everybody's home, he poured the <laughs> Remy Martin into the, the bottle. And me and my wife, Patty Joy, we, we, had, we didn't have to pay for a bottle of... <laughs> Jimmy Martin for five or six years. That's funny. That's... <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the word was out. Doug McLeod, man, he can drink. 
that guy drinks all night long and it still sounds good. I mean, we have, you know, you know, survival, trying to make it. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, so what you been working on? Uh, new album. There's yeah. a new album we're working on. Yeah. Um, and hook up with the producer, Andreas Werner. Um, uh, guys, we just had a production meeting just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to be doing that. I expect that we'll we'll start recording that around the first of the year. Where are you going to uh, do probably it? Probably in Nashville. I Na- think in oh, Nashville. Nashville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it either be here in Memphis or Nashville. It all depends where Andreas wants to do it. Mm-hmm. Why Nashville? Because he knows people there. Oh, and okay. He's got a studio there. And that, mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it a, a, it'll be a solo or you have a band? Uh, most of it will be solo and yeah. then uh, not a band, really, but an acoustic, I guess, what's, what's the word? An acoustic ensemble. Uh-huh. Different, instrument, different instruments. Different uh, instruments. Uh, we're not actually sure exactly what instruments are going to be mm-hmm. because we just started talking about it. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a continuation of, uh, you know, the story songs and so on. Uh huh. Have you have you written songs for the album yet? Or are you still working on it? Yeah, they're already done. Oh, yeah. that's good. I just got I got to dress them up a little bit. That's all. What do you mean? What Find do you mean? What do you What do you mean? Dress them up? Well, it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like um, they got they got their underwear on. <laughs> but now I got to find what suit or what dress they're going to be wearing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> what kind of underwear does a blues song wear? That's what I'd like to know. Ah, <laughs> uh, but that's really none of your business. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm nosy. I don't think it's anybody else's business. I mean, that's, that was the best description I could come up with, so we're going to have to go with it. Ain't nobody's business if you do. Thank you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, when you th- when you're thinking about uh, an en- an ensemble, what, what other instruments are you are you thinking about at this point? Well, we're looking at uh, um, uh, uh, acoustic bass, uh-huh. um, some kind of percussion, uh-huh. um, a simple drum set, maybe just a snare drum. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And we're thinking of um, maybe a bass clarinet, believe it or not. That's nice. Oh, that's a great uh-huh. idea. Love, I love, man. You love, love bass clarinets, man. They're so, uh-huh. you know, that 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 is that's a blues sound. That bass clarinet is absolutely. Yeah, I've not used a lot, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking Andreas has ideas, and I I have ideas, and right and right now um, the the horizon is broad we're not uh-huh. narrowing it down at all so there's you know ideas so we'll see we'll see which way it goes the songs dictate uh-huh. the instruments well sure the sure. instruments sure. do not dictate the songs the songs are going to yeah. dictate the instruments yeah yeah um uh i, I was reading um pete fountain's autobiography not long ago mm-hmm. remember, remember pete fountain's clarinet player Clarinet, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he he said that his first big gig was on a on a paddle on a, on a paddle wheeler on the Mississippi, and mm-hmm. it was and 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 and, and, and the, the gigs were sponsored by the biggest um, uh, fruit company in New Orleans. It was run by a guy hmm. named Dan Tony. <laughs> You're kidding. I'm not kidding. 
Was he a relation to you? I wouldn't be surprised. Well, well yeah, with a name like that, yeah, yeah. Wow. I was I, I was uh, I was looking around in in, uh, in uh, cemeteries in New Orleans one time. Found a D'Antoni there. <laughs> well, I bet because that's that, that's really a, a melting pot, New Orleans. Oh yeah, yeah. Lots, lots French of... and Italian and everybody was there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So um uh, I'm wondering. Uh, so you just it's just going to be you at 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 at, at Artichoke, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. nice. That's good. That's good. Good. Um, how, do, do, do you change your set? How do you how do you go about picking a set? I mean, does does the room have anything to do with it, or or where or the city you're in, or or what? Mm-hmm. I, you know what I do is this. Um, I never plan a set. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Honestly, I, I only plan on getting there. Um, <laughs> And then there, I kind of, I, I kind of leave it to the power to be. Um, oh, uh-huh. Just get the first first song, and then uh, go ahead and just just follow that feeling. I know uh, Mickey, my manager, uh-huh. uh, she managed uh, Luther Allison, mm. and Luther had a great saying. It's something I say every before every concert, and it's. Leave your ego, play the music, and love the people. Oh, yeah. That's it. Oh, yeah. That's it. Because yeah. once you do that, then you're out of the equation. Yep. And it's not about you being a star or some kind of stuff like that. It's not about you anymore. It's uh-huh. Once you leave the ego, play uh-huh. the music, and love the people. Yeah. That's how. That's what I try to do. Yeah. I interviewed James Brown one time, and I asked him, "Mr. Brown, uh, how do you how do you how do you get people to behave like that? Why do people react that way to your music?" And he goes, "I don't know. I just kick off onto one and let the boogie do the rest." <laughs> there you go. That's it. It is. That's well said. Well said. I told that story a million a million times. <laughs> That's a good story. It's it. a good one. It's a good one. I was. I was, uh, he, he had owned a, a, a radio station in Baltimore and a, and a beauty shop and a motel. And then they all went out of business and he was, uh, he was in Baltimore to, uh, to, for a court appearance cause they wanted to, he owed him a lot of money. And, and, uh, uh, I walk into the, to, I went, I went down there to, to the courthouse and I walked into the, to, to, to the, the courtroom and he was on the stand testifying. And I mean, testifying. And and uh, and he looked up at the judge and says, "Judge, if I was a Chrysler Corporation, you wouldn't be doing this to me." And of course, he was right. He was right. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> man. Yeah, he's a self-made man, man. Oh yeah. James Brown. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see that biography a documentary on Little Richard that was on a couple of weeks ago? Oh, you no, were probably was, you were you I were in you were in Europe. I was overseen. Yeah. yeah. But you got to catch that if yeah. you can. Um. Well, listen. But I'm sure they'll run that again, won't they? Oh yeah. Oh, you gotta you gotta yeah. catch that. It's it's pretty. Nice. It's stuff I never I never I had no I had no idea about. Uh, and uh, well, when are you gonna write your biography? Your autobiography. Well, I, they, they had, one guy did a, a compact 
biography, mm-hmm. auto- biography. Um, it's called Who is Blues? That was done by mm-hmm. Vincent Abati. That's available on Amazon, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's also available on. It's a let me see. It's available on Amazon, and it's also an audio book too. Mm-hmm. That has. Mm-hmm, they did that. Um, and some people are talking about maybe doing a, a, a show where I tell my stories yeah. of the old group, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, geez, you know, I mean, audio, audio books are so popular, and you're a storyteller, and you've got a great story. Yeah. And, I mean, that, that's, a, that's autobiography material right there. You don't, have to, you, don't, you don't have to work at it. All you got to do is talk into a mic. <laughs> Let's I, wonder, I wonder how hard that would be. I mean, I uh, it's easy. It's easy. Sure. You think you can do something like that at your house, or you yeah. got to make a studio, right? Well, it's, be, it's, be, it's best if you have a studio, but you know, I mean, these days, the ambient noise, right? Yeah, th- these days, yeah. you know, you can make a, you can make a studio out of a closet. <laughs> really? Sure. You, sure. Yeah. Put some just put well, some soundproof. Just some, just some put some soundproofing material in there, and digital recordings, digital recording, get yourself a good mic, and you got and and and, and your home, you know. Wow, uh, you're well, perfect. You'd, you'd, you'd be perfect for an autobiography. I mean, that's your that's your thing, telling stories. Well, I guess you're right, Tom. Maybe yeah. I ought to just think about just getting ahead and doing that. Once this album is pretty yeah. much set, then I think I'll I'll. Uh, it's I'll really, you know, it's merch, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see Mickey reacting right now. <laughs> I mean, well, thank you for that, Tom. I think I, I think I'll definitely consider. Yeah, maybe it's time to do that. Sure, sure. All right, man. Listen, uh, I really appreciate you spending time with us. It's it's been great talking to you, and everybody's waiting to waiting for you to get to town here and playing in the, in the Artichoke Cafe, and and, uh, and we'll have all the information on the page here when this great. goes up, and uh, I'll send it to you, and uh, and uh, we'll all be happy. I'll tell you, Tom, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks yeah. thanks for making this happen. And uh, um, from a Cardinal fan to an Oriole fan, best of luck. <laughs> Thank you. And as we like to say when we end these things, mm. that's entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Blinded by the storm, lost my way to go. I was blinded by the storm, I lost my way to go. When the storm cloud broke, I saw This place where love refused to grow. I must leave this place where love refused to grow. Where I'm bouncing, Lord, I don't know. 
It's time for me to go. 